there, there, there's a lot of promising direction in you know, what we'll call mindfulness uh-huh. uh, or intended use. And a lot of experts talk about that as the, the best long-term solution. The hard part about a, a, any system on the phone that, you know, they don't necessarily know the, the, the circumstances that you're in. So what we think is important is to develop the tools for people to make a, a well-intentioned decision. Mm-hmm. You know, basically build up your, uh, your confidence and your willpower to say, this is a good use of Candy Crush. I shouldn't be using Candy Crush. And how do you do that? That, to me, is the wide-open research mm-hmm. question that is quite powerful. Um, and honestly, we don't know yet. That was Scott Jensen. I would argue... As a user interface designer and strategic planner with over 20 years experience of working with some of the biggest companies in the world, Scott now focuses on bringing to life Google's vision for digital well-being. This is a fascinating conversation in which you'll get insight on the reasons why people feel obligated to answer their phones, why engagement metrics are only part of the story when designing for digital well-being, and the various ways that Google was working at the operating system level to create digital well-being for everyone. But before that, I want to welcome you to the Digital Mindfulness Show. Here, we bring together the best authors, scientists and thought leaders to discuss what makes a time well spent digital experience. You'll hear from specialists discuss such topics as digital wellness, cyberbullying, digital detoxing, persuasive technology, and much, much more. Okay, so on with the show now with Scott Jensen. Scott, welcome to Digital Mindfulness. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show with us today. Thank you very much for having me. So Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would, and in particular, how you found yourself to be working in digital well-being, which is a hot topic right now. Right. Um... I have worked on a number of projects um, in my career. Um, I recently joined the Android team uh, as a uh, future UX uh, strategy type of person. Um, and when I joined it, there was uh, an, uh, some research that had just completed uh, studying how people were using their phones. And it was really clear that while we have always been concerned about how people are using their phones and giving tools like Do Not Disturb or you know, we have tools to like uh, cancel notifications. Um, there was a whole new level that was emerging, and so it was a re- it was a very powerful research, which actually is being presented this week at Mobile HCI. Right. So, uh, if you go to the Mobile HCI website, so again, we're engaging with the community to share our research um, on, on that, and so out of that came this deeper appreciation as to what was going on, and so we that ended up doing some ideation work. And then some follow-up research, and so that each each would fit into the other ones. And as we evolved our thinking, um, many of those pieces turned out to be what you saw the digital wellness announcement. That's great. So, for people that can't make it to the conference, what would you say then are some of the key findings that came from the research? Because I'm really fascinated to know. For one, so, no, no, I, I would strongly recommend that you look up the talk uh, by uh, Julie Aranda and Safia Baig. They did. This is excellent work, and I want to give them credit for the work they did. Um, but the the basic findings, well, there are a couple. One is people love their phones. 
and they get incredible power from them and safety from them, the ability to make the phone call, to be able to get the maps instructions and so forth. So there's a very strong, like, don't take this away from me feeling. Um, at the same time, there were the, the, the headline insight was that there is a very nuanced problem as to what people have when they have difficulties with technology. The obvious one that everyone talks about is this unfortunate word called addiction. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's too strong of a word. There's a ways we can unpack that, but it, it, it basically involves overuse, right? Um, and that's the one category. Um, and there's an addiction loop we talk about, how people engage in that. But the other one that was like the much more nuanced and interesting was the obligation loop. And the obligation loop comes from the fact that you feel obligated to reply. So while the addiction loop tends to be more personal, the obligation loop is very much social. And it doesn't even require a new app, uh, a new digital app. It can actually apply, uh, happen with, with SMS. Um, and we had really painful stories of people who were out of touch for a few hours, were not able to reply to people, and when they were able to re-engage with them, were deeply upset or hurt or friendships were broken. And, and it creates this crazy urgency that people have. So it's one of the reasons why people like jump or when their phone goes off or vibrates is that they feel like they have to reply. So this obligation insight was very moving to us. You know, Scott, we've done a lot of research on this same topic um, here at Digital Mindfulness. And one of the key findings we came across, and we didn't name it exactly as you just did in terms of the obligation loop, but we definitely found that in the workplace, people feel that they very much have a duty to respond as quickly as possible to um, to people that are perhaps sending them emails or sending them chats. And I wonder if this obligation loop, as you put it, whether that really stems from us being connected 24-7 and the ability that we do have to respond to people instantly, whether the instant communications that we have um, lead to an expectation that we indeed respond immediately. I, I think you're correct. And I, I don't want to say anything too definitive yet, but I think what we're discovering is that we've almost evolved into this. In other words, it's easy to see how this happened with SMS. But when we went from an SMS model to more of a digital online model, and then the timing became even faster, then the expectations escalated. And then we added those three little bubbling dots and we've all experienced this, right? So you're, you send a message to someone and you're ready to put it away and you see the dots bubble and you sit there like a deer in the headlights and stare at it for 40 seconds while they type out. I mean, that to me is this profound impact that we're all willing to freeze for literally 40 seconds while someone types shows you how powerful this is. I was laughing just then because it's very much um, a knowing laugh. I like everyone experienced that um, again that sense of obligation that comes with the the bubbling three dots whenever I'm chatting to someone but um, but I wonder as someone who lives and breathes mobile whether this is some whether these feelings that I'm uh, that I very much can identify with whether these are things that you yourself um, find challenges with oh absolutely absolutely um, I, there was a, a consulting firm I was working with on a, on, a, on a similar project, and as I was describing the research to them and what we were working on, they were like, great, got it, thanks, bye. And then we, we met with them a week later, and they are like, oh, my God, Scott. Oh, we're addicted. We didn't even know it. 
right? Which, which, wow. which raises this really interesting awareness issue as well. Um, in fact, this might lead into another conversation we can have about levels of awareness. Mm. Because there are people who are completely objectively addicted to their phones. Uh, or Again, I, I want to make sure I shy away from that word more or they overuse. But they uh, don't care, don't want to know, define, they're in charge. And then there's others that tend to be very understandable and surprised by this. So there's almost this continuum of, and this probably, my guess is there's deep psychological research about receptivity to issues like this. And so, but again, in our early studies, it showed that there's people who are very willing to talk about this and take steps, and there's those that are not. And so there's that. So one of the main steps towards digital well-being that Android has taken, and it's very similar to those taken by Facebook and by Apple, is to take our information, take our, the way that we use our different apps and our smartphone and present that information back towards us. And what I'd really like to get from you is, do you find is in the information that's coming back and in the research that you've conducted, when people have their information presented back to them, is this a useful mnemonic? Is this a useful data point to help people then create their own sense of digital well-being? Well, we, we haven't shifted yet, right? So clearly we, we don't have any hard data just yet. Yeah. Um, the, the expectation and our assumption is that for certain categories of users, certain amounts of feedback and you know, you know, will, will be effective. Um, there's a category of people who just don't understand their usage. And when they say, oh, look, I've been using for Twitter, I've been using Twitter four times more than any other app. They find that shocking, and that itself can motivate some behavior change. Hmm. So, to me, um, and, and by the way, I, I put myself in that category as a big Twitter user, right? Yeah. Um, and again, I don't want to uh, imply it, it's just simply the fact that people will have to see certain things and they, re, they respond to it. So, um, but again, this is still early days. We're still trying to just expose this to people to see what happens and see how they respond to it. I totally understand that it's not out yet. And I think I, for one, I'm really looking forward to um, getting that data back and then kind of having you guys share some information on whether, you know, how impactful it's been. But then given all of the research that you and your team have done on digital well-being, I'm really interested to know, Scott, what does that term actually mean to you, to someone that uses and works with mobile every single day? What does digital well-being mean to you? I think we're still trying to unpack that. As I mentioned before, there's this issues of personal use. And so there's that mm. category of how you want to understand that and modulate that. There's just simply um, how it fits within my life. And so we have this feature that's coming up called Wind Down. Uh, which isn't necessarily about overuse, but it's about just helping you just sleep well. Um, and that's, I think, a very uh, small, light, nuanced thing to do. And then there's this whole obligation loop, which feels like a much more of a societal thing that we have to talk about together. So I would argue that we're still unpacking it and we're discovering all these corners that we want to do. Um, and obviously what we're doing in this, this, new, this latest version uh, is just the first step and we will learn and you know, keep going as we discover more. So everything we've been speaking about until now has been about giving people agency to 
really look at their own behavior and make changes on their own. But I'd like to flip it over now and really get your opinion on the extent to which you think that the technology itself and persuasive technologies can play a direct role in creating digital well-being for people. Well, I would hope that there is a lot of impact, but I think the proof is in the pudding. We have to deliver and and try that. So Mm. what I would argue we're doing with the current release is about mostly about awareness. Um, Giving you the data, seeing how that works, seeing how it responds. We've also added limit, you know, hard limits as well, uh, which is there to, to stop people from, from blatant overuse. We have to gather data on these. We have to see where we're going to go and, and what's effective. Um, but there, there, there's a lot of promising direction in you know, what we'll call mindfulness mm-hmm. uh, or intended use. And a lot of experts talk about that as the, the best long-term solution. In other words, if I want to play Candy Crush on the bus and that's downtime for me, that's perfectly fine. Right? Um, I probably shouldn't be playing Candy Crush at work. Right. Mm-hmm. So the hard part about a, a, any system on the phone that, you know, they don't necessarily know that the, the circumstances that you're in. So what we think is important is to develop the tools for people to make a, a well-intentioned decision, mm-hmm. you know, basically build up your, uh, your confidence and your willpower to say, this is a good use of Candy Crush. I shouldn't be using Candy Crush. And how do you do that? That, to me, is the wide-open research mm. question that is quite powerful. Um, and honestly, we don't know yet. But I would argue most uh, addiction experts talk about mindfulness as the real key breakthrough that you need to kind of encourage. I'm really glad that this is something that the research is actually bringing up, Scott, because I couldn't agree with you more. I really do believe that um, mindfulness is one of the key pillars of digital well-being. And of course, this is something that we've been working on for years now. But I do believe that when we can all be responsible for creating digital experiences that incorporate a focus on digital well-being as one of the central pillars, then we'll have, of course, better digital environments as a whole but we'll also have a better global society. But I want to change questions now and ask you something that's really um, been difficult for us here in the office to um, answer in a robust way. And that is when we are creating digital experiences that do focus on digital well-being, how difficult is it to do that properly when we live in an attention economy when the vast majority of the digital experiences that people currently have, to a large extent, focus on maximizing people's attention and also their time spent using that particular tool or service. Yeah, and I think that is effectively a a great research question because, Mm. again, the computer slash phone has such basic ways of recording, you know, screen on, screen off, whatever, that to know that I'm on the bus and, I, and I'm bored and I want Candy Crush versus I'm at work is an interesting question of how you even log that. Um, I would argue, though, that um, uh, I would absolutely agree with you that if you only measure engagement, you're only getting a part of the story. 
Um, one thing that I think would be worth talking about is measuring over-engagement, right? At least, you know, just, just like how much are you using? Have you crossed a certain threshold? Um, that to me is an interesting direction to explore because it just simply is looking for, you know, potential warning signs. You could put that, you know, alerts to the user, do you want to take a break and so forth? Um, versus are you happy? Are you productive? Are you accomplishing something? Which I think is a much higher level, much more complicated thing to measure. So this is very much an open question that is still being explored. So I'm really interested to know that once people have all of this detailed information about their behaviors on their phone, what other resources exist to help people get from where they are currently to where they want to be in terms of their digital well-being goals? Oh, there's all sorts of resources out there. There's many, many apps that will measure your time or, you know, ask you to be away from your phone for certain periods of time and so forth. So um, if you are interested in this, just search for this and you'll find lots and lots of applications. I don't want to call out any particular one. Um, what is interesting from our point of view is what are the kinds of things that we can do possibly at the operating system level that encourages this. So let me call it one more feature that we did that I'm um, particularly happy with or happy with is, is, is one which we hope will be effective. Uh, that's a better way of phrasing it, which is the, the shush gesture, if you're familiar with that one. Um, for example, we found out that, so we've had do not disturb for a long time. It's a very powerful tool for digital wellness because you can turn it off. And so we've been, and we've had this feature for years. Um, the, the issue was, and we did user studies, is that people loved it when they turned it off or turned it on and all the notifications turned off, but they were quite frustrated when they left it on by accident. And then they would miss critical things and the whole obligation cycle kicked back in so they wouldn't use it as much. So given that insight that do not disturb is quite effective, but it had the ability to be, excuse me, <laughs> it had the ability to be uh, turned off too either too left on too easily. We then came up with a shush gesture, which was that anytime you take out your phone and you flip it face down, the phone automatically goes into do not disturb mode. It became kind of a spring-loaded mode, mm. right? So, and then then when you pick up your phone to use it, it just turns off. You you can't leave it on. And in the process of coming up with this, we accidentally discovered that we now have this social gesture. So I'm having lunch with you. I take out my phone and I set it down. I am now telegraphing to you that you are more important than my phone. So this was a really lovely set of things that kind of came together. So we started with trying to make do not disturb lighter weight and more modeless and came up with effectively a physical gesture that's really quite powerful. So we're really anxious to see kind of how that also evolves. Um, and those kinds of low level things that we can do to kind of make this a communal thing that we can do together. I think that's a really interesting point because for me, when I turn my phone over, it's probably less something that I'm looking to communicate to someone else and more something for myself personally to indicate that I don't want to be disturbed and that actually I'm entering a period of real focused work. But Scott, you spoke earlier about another feature as part of the upgrade, which is called Wind Down. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that contributes to overall digital well-being? But wind down is something that you have to opt into. And then you, when you turn it on, you say what time you want to uh, go to bed. And then you'll get a notification. 
to remind you and to start to kind of stop using your phone less. And then as an added bonus, um, the phone will actually go into grayscale mode. Um, which is, so if you have to send off that last message, you can, but you now get this kind of very, very strong visual reminder, like, Hey, it's time to turn this off now. Right now, again, you've opt into this and you can turn it off if you want, but I think these are the kinds of things. I know there are a lot of people that said my sleep schedule is all over the place and I can't do that. Fine. Uh, You know, um, but sleep experts will say that your sleep schedule should not be all over the place. If you want to have a good sleep schedule, you should be going to bed on time. So we are taking baby steps as to kind of do this together. And there are an awful lot of people who seem to really enjoy this. That's great, Scott. So when can we expect to be able to play with some of these features? Um, These were all announced at Google I.O. They will be announced um, initially as part of the, the Pixel launch this October. And I, I can't speak as to when it'll be rolling out broader, more broadly. Okay. Well, Scott, thanks so much for spending time with us here at Digital Mindfulness. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.